Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. This is episode 124. On the line, as always, David Mirakatani. David, saw you in Pittsburgh. We saw a lot in Pittsburgh. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, back at home after the college season ends, how are you feeling? I actually feel great, man. We did the border brawl like we talked about. Then Monday night, you and I podcast. A Tuesday, I flew out to, to Pittsburgh. We did the fantasy event on Wednesday, did interviews Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're recording Tuesday. I actually slept 12 hours on Sunday night and another nine or 10 hours today. So your boy is back in action. And uh, I feel really good if we were reviewing how our picks were, but we're going to do that next week when I know I'm going to feel freaking fantastic for sure. Yes, for those that have been following along, we will get to the picks and the results next week. Suffice to say, I did not fare well, but we will discuss that next week. There's too much to talk about this week. A couple of notes before we get into NCAA results. Um, Jaden Ironman of Missouri announced before the tournament he's going to take an Olympic red shirt. Um, expect more people to follow suit there. Be really interesting to follow that as we go through the offseason, who's going to be taking a year off next year to train for the Olympics, but Ironman is the first domino to fall there. And then a, a very sad story out of NCAAs, Michael Sprague, who wrestles for American, um, 30 minutes after his last NCAA match, his father, Steve, suffered a fatal cardiac event. Um, this is a family that lost their mom about nine years ago, so they've just really been through it. Um, it's just sad. It reminds you a lot that, you know, life is fleeting and hug the ones the close to you, but uh, there is a GoFundMe out there to help with uh, funeral expenses. So if you can spare a couple bucks for that, that'd be great. Um, you know, Sprague is one of those guys that's been around the rankings in and out of them, obviously national qualifier, I think a couple of times. It's just really sad to hear. And I, I just don't know what else to say to that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned the GoFundMe. I think, you know, we saw this, what happened with Richard Perry and other people like this, where people really put together and set, set aside if there are differences uh, in a time of need like this. And, you know, there's a lot of stories from the tournament that, you know, wrestling, somebody said wrestling is not kind. Wrestling gives you what it gives you and not always what you think you deserve. And, but clearly this is, the harshest of blows. I mean, I, I got to spend most of the weekend with my dad. So when I think about something like that happening, I mean, you know, my dad's still my hero and I'm almost 50. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just obviously saying we wish, you know, him the best and, and want to promote, you know, people supporting this is the least we can do. Absolutely. Yeah. I sat next to my dad the whole tournament as well. So echo those thoughts. Can't imagine what that family is going through. Uh, Glad you mentioned Richard Perry. I saw him out in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's looking amazing for what he's been through. That is that continues to be a good comeback story. Saw him on the mat a little bit during Team USA practice, getting some work in. So just just amazing to see what he's doing on the turnaround. That was great to see. Yeah, that guy's a walking miracle, right? Right. Yeah, it really was. I actually I passed him um, outside the arena one of the days and. I had to do a double take. I couldn't believe how good he looked considering all the stuff, you know, that you hear about what he's been through. I just, it was amazing. So that's really cool. Um, and you know, we, we don't have rankings this, this week, obviously the final rankings of the season were determined, uh, in a, in a way, uh, and they were done on Resolite, weren't they? 
They were. And actually, I nerded out Monday and did the preseason rankings just based on the tournament, not red shirts and all the other stuff. But yeah, Resolite is your one source for both their classic and lightweight mats. From their zip mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to their exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. And while we're talking about our sponsors, Pure and Clean, they were the ones cleaning the mats, making sure that nobody was getting any junk or funk. And uh, they were also at our event. So, you know, they're doing a great job keeping the mats clean and everything else. And you can go to pureandcleansports.com. They support folks like uh, Jaden Cox and Michael Chandler and Kyle Dake. And uh, they're doing a great job of keeping these guys on the mats and healthy. Very cool. Um, as we usually do, we're going to go through this weight by weight. Uh, just talk about all the results that happened. There's a lot to talk about. We'll try not to take too many side roads because there's going to be plenty of time to talk about rule changes and other things as we go through this, you know, in the off season, which there really is no off season anymore. We're right into freestyle and Greco. That stuff never ends. So that's the, that's the good news. Um, if you're having a little bit of a hangover after Pittsburgh, but. 125 pounds. Spencer Lee returns to the top of the podium for the second straight year, beating Jack Mueller five to nothing in the finals. Uh, Lee also avenged his regular season loss to Nick Piccinini in the semis, 11 to four. Mueller was a little bit of a surprise package, beating Ronnie Bresser in tiebreaker two in the quarters, and then knocking off Sebastian Rivera, the top seed, eight to two, to reach the finals. He wrestled very well. Uh, you know, I think the story though was Spencer Lee. He just we watched him all year kind of struggle. We weren't sure what he was going to do. He looked better at the Big Tens, but still took a loss. And then in the end, it just didn't matter. He he's, he finds another gear, right? Like he's, uh, I, I think like, you know, and obviously I was wrong about this, but it was like Dean Heil senior year. Like you just seen a guy like that do it so many times. And you almost just have to disregard the regular season with, with a guy like Spencer Lee. Uh, you know, he, you know, he avenged his loss to, to pitch, like you said, really controlled the Mueller match, and Mueller wrestled his, his fanny off uh, in the tournament. And eight of the top nine seeds were the guys that earned medals, so they did a pretty good job of seeding this tournament as well at 25. Definitely. Uh, other All-American news, Vito Arujav Cornell was the eighth seed and finished fourth. He beat Nick Piccinini. On the backside, lost to Sebastian Rivera twice, Rivera obviously taking third. Uh, Pat Glory also lost to Nick Piccinini twice, so we had a lot of repeat matchups on the backside this year. Uh, the the Glory-Piccinini matches were really interesting because the first one, Pitt kind of controlled, and then the second one, Glory was actually winning until Pitt pinned him in the third period. So uh, those were entertaining matches. Look forward to those guys coming back next year. And then Rayvon Foley of Michigan State, uh, seventh place finish, beating Ronnie Bresser in the seventh place match. Good to see Michigan State back on the podium. Uh, there was kind of a theme to that this year. A lot of first time national champions for you know brand new schools, some all Americans that hadn't we hadn't seen in a while. Those schools, so cool story for Rayvon Foley. You know, I was talking to a couple coaches and guys like Rayvon Foley, guys like Makai Lewis, uh, guys like Vito. Um, the, I watched, the, I was at a lot of these tournaments of spring and summer coaching and Rayvon Foley was at every tournament. A lot of times he was wrestling both styles. Dom Demas is the other guy that comes to mind. And 
a lot of times you see these guys in college when they take their redshirt year, or they take the offseason, and you don't see them. And I, I was, I don't know Rayvon at all. I've talked to him. I coached against him uh, when Malik Johnson beat him in the Greco finals. But super nice, respectful kid. And I can't help but be happy for him for all the time he put into um, to the to his off season or you know the non collegiate season. So really proud of him and happy for him. And I'm happy for Michigan State. I mean, it's, they're going in the right direction. You know, getting a guy on the podium. And you know, Rayvon was a guy that was kind of limping at the Big Twelve or Big Tens rather. So uh, you know, happy to see him be able to put together a tournament and medal. Agreed. Uh, moving up to 133 pounds, Nick Suriano. Uh, before before we leave, Go before ahead. we leave 25, did did you not think it was in the fifth place match with Pitch and Glory? Did Princeton wanted him to pick neutral, and like I saw Chris Ayers in the tunnel, he's like, "Yeah, we we wanted him to pick neutral." Obviously, once he wanted to go down, we you know we said, "All right, get out." But like, did and we're going to talk about a lot of choices, I'm sure, during this podcast, but. You know, why would you go under pitch when that's the, that's how he's beaten you multiple times? What did you think about that? Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised by that. Um, obviously, when they met in the duel this year, uh, Glory got all the takedowns and pitch beat him with two four point near falls. the The match on the front side was a little different. Pitch got some takedowns, at least one. I can't remember if he got two or three after that, but um, it was a little different. So I, I don't know what the thinking was there. Um, it obviously in retrospect it looks really bad, uh, but yeah, I, it was a questionable decision, and we saw a lot of that this weekend. Guys taking down when you just didn't. There was no need for it, so uh, kind of a strange choice. But you know, I, in that part too, I kind of wonder how much do you let your wrestlers choose versus dictating choice. I mean, obviously, you don't want to argue with your wrestlers, but you, shouldn't you have that conversation beforehand? Like, hey, we're going to tell you what to pick. I, I don't quite. I, I completely agree with that as a coach. Like in these matches where you've wrestled guys before, where you know a guy's really good in a certain situation, like you, you have to talk to them and say, hey, you know, if we're winning, we're not picking down or we're just not picking down, period. Like, you're, you know, understand if he picks down and he gets away from you before you get riding time, it's one to nothing. We believe in you that you can get at least one more takedown than him in regulation. And we believe you can get a takedown on him in overtime. And we believe that if you don't get any, you know, if you if it's tied, we believe you'll get away from him after eight minutes in your slipper. Like right. you to have those conversations with guys, and like in the '84 final, it looked like they hadn't talked about it at all, which was just like completely shocking. I mean, I got, yeah, I mean, so that match was interesting, and I know we, you know, I I just want to say too, Cornell had an incredibly. You know, talk about overperforming their seeds and ranks. Vito is a big part of that. Again, I saw Vito wrestle a lot this summer. His dad's obviously a hammer and runs a a very successful you know club out east. But it was uh, it was impressive watching what he did as well, especially in the backside semi against Pitch, where he really controlled the match. Yeah, for a guy that a lot of people were worried about whether he could make that cut successfully, he he never showed any signs of suffering he always had a gas tank and he just wrestled really well so impressive tournament for him for sure moving up to 133 
Nick Soriano became the first ever national champion for Rutgers. Uh, he defeated Dayton Fix in sudden victory 2-4-2. He also avenged his loss to Stevan Micic in the semis 4-1. Micic went on to beat Luke Pletcher for third. Uh, before we get to the rest of it, we'll talk about the final. I, I don't ever want to see these guys wrestle again. Um, Soriano and Fix have wrestled twice now. Neither one takes any risk, and it's boring, quite frankly. And for whatever reason, the referees seem to not be able to call their matches worth anything. So I'm fine with them no longer wrestling. It probably will happen again at some point, but I, I was not entertained by this match at all. And the, and the officials losing their minds did not help that. Uh, what was your take on the final? Well, first of all, I think they're going to wrestle in the duel next year because I think I know, Yoki I State know. duels are home and homes. So I mean, just just to, you know kind of pee on your Cheerios. I think that's going to happen, but maybe that's will uh, take an Olympic red shirt or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's certainly a possibility. I thought it was strange. Fix's approach to the match. Like Soriano didn't do a lot, but he was going forward a lot more than fix was. I mean, I think when you start looking at what was, you know, what's controversial, you know, Fix played the edge a lot. Maybe there could have been an extra stalling call or two there. You certainly don't want to mass decided on that. Uh, I think, you know, when Fix booted him up, you know, my dad always taught me because I rode double legs. He's like, they're going to call a stalemate. As soon as you boot him up and flatten him out, take one leg out, let the guy build back up, then put that leg back in and just keep switching sides. Uh, but even with that, I think there was, what, nine or ten seconds left on the restart? And then, you know. Nine seconds. And yeah, nine. So, and Suriano didn't jump. He just caught the whistle, and it was almost like Fix wasn't ready. And then the whole headgear thing, I mean, there's so many thoughts on that, right? Like, first of all, like, do we even need to be wearing headgear? Second of all, you know, my understanding is that Oklahoma State didn't even have, have any challenges left. So what made the referees go look at it? Number three, can you imagine if they reversed the call when they didn't actually have any challenges left? Four, I don't know what they were looking at because it seemed pretty obvious he grabbed the headgear. Five, Fix has got to wrestle through that position. He can't, like, just when, when Soriano grabs his headgear, he can't, like, be pointing at that. He's got to keep wrestling. I mean, so there's, like, nine, well, five, literally five different things there that contributed to it. It would have been interesting if there hadn't been a score there because the score was tied. Suriano would have had the 32nd advantage in riding time, and then they would have went back to the rides. And, I, you know, obviously it probably wouldn't – it couldn't have realistically been tied at that point. It was somebody would have won. So besides being thoroughly disgusted with the lack of offense, uh, I know you're wearing orange. So, I mean, well, what did you think about just overall? What, what did you think about the refereeing and all that part of it? Yeah, I mean, I was I was with you. I thought both guys. I mean, this is something they didn't call at all in the tournament. But if you'd called a double stall in that first period, I would have been fine with that. And then after that, I think you're right. Most of the time, Fix did less. He's played the edge. He stayed back. He wasn't going to take any chances. And Soriano, while he wasn't committing to shots at all, he was coming forward. Um, I will say the first challenge that. Oklahoma State through, which was their last, um, to challenge hands to the face, I had a huge problem with, but it probably saved Fix a stall call because 
all the momentum seemed to be building towards him getting a stall with him playing the edge. And then when they went to review that hands to the face, which I saw a lot of hands to the face challenges this weekend and none of them were upheld because they changed the emphasis on that at the last minute for the postseason to make it have to be intentional. So all of a sudden, all these coaches that were challenging all season to get these calls weren't getting them anymore. So that was an adjustment the coaches needed to make that they didn't. But it it basically saved him a stall call because he was about to get one. And when they came back and restarted with 21 seconds, I think everyone kind of forgot about what had been happening. The momentum was broken and he didn't get one. So it that was bad. Um, the third period, you know, nobody really shot. Fix took one shot when he needed to, got – you know, two hands on a leg, and I think that saved him as well. So it's annoying, but okay, we're going to overtime. And then you talk about the ride out. I I watched it again today. He hadn't even flattened him out yet when they called that stalemate. So I had a huge problem with that call. Um, You know, I sat and watched Jack Mueller ride guys for a minute flat on the mat with two boots in. Um, And I'm not saying that was wrong. I'm just saying that that call was made because it was in the rideouts. And anytime you change the rules based on clock and situation, I have a problem with that. Uh, but but, but you know, they do that all the time, though. To be fair, it's consistent. They like, do. You always call they do. quicker. But my, my point is, though, he didn't even flatten him out yet. They were still moving. They paused for about two seconds with Suriano still up off the mat, I believe on one knee. And they called a stalemate. I just couldn't. I couldn't believe that call. I mean, yes, you're right. They do change it all the time. It's quicker and neutral, but I watched all weekend guys ride that double legs and never saw a stalemate like that. So that's baffling. And then that, that was to me, you know, that spurred everything from there. If that is a ride out and the match ends, we're probably complaining a little bit about fixed stalling. Um, but most of the people <laughs> around are not, you know, worried about that match that much. They're just saying, Hey, fix needs to be more aggressive. He doesn't have offense, whatever. And, you know, we're not talking about it that much, but that after that, things just went nuts. You're right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the stills and the video show that when fix did that slide by Soriano grabbed the headgear and immediately scored off of it. You know, there's no, there's no gray area in the rules. If you grasp the headgear, it's a point. And you're also right that Oklahoma state was out of challenges they should never have gotten it reviewed. It should never have been done, but they pressured the officials into having the officials do an official review, which is a huge foul. If you didn't see anything and you didn't think anything happened, you shouldn't have reviewed it. And that was a bad call. And then you're right. Fix has to wrestle through that position. You cannot quit in that position because you feel your headgear get grabbed. You've got to wrestle through it. So completely agree with the rest of that. Uh, you know, it's it's baffling and it really robs Suriano some too. I'm sure he's not overly concerned about it, but like people are going to continue to discuss this match when he's a national champion and he won, he might've won anyway, but with all these things going on, it really robs him of some of that. You know, he should be the outright champion. He's not because we've got all this stuff to talk about. I'm sure like he's, like I said, he's not worried about that, but it's just unfortunate that the officials can't get this stuff right. I think the the crazy thing is, let's say they called the headgear pull, right? Then I think Rutgers throws the brick and says, you're not allowed to do the review. Well, they would lose that because you can have an official's review at any time dictated by the officials. 
And that's what it was. It wasn't a challenge from Oklahoma State. It was an official's review. Now, they shouldn't have done it because they got pressured into it. Nobody, neither of the officials saw the headgear pull in real time. All they saw were the Oklahoma State guys going nuts and walking out on the mat. And that's when they did the officials review. So they couldn't have challenged it, or at least they wouldn't have won that. Um, but it's absurd that they were pressured into doing it in that kind of spot. That's, that's, but that's where we are. The officials are so afraid that they're making bad calls and bad decisions. Like they just, I don't know. The other thing is this, and there's no way to quantify this, but I'd set the over under at like four and a half on how many coaches in the country could have got them to review that when they don't have any challenges left. Like, like I guarantee you the team that took 32nd place wouldn't have, got, wouldn't have gotten that review at all. Yeah, like, I'm not sure like, I I'm not sure I agree in the finals. There's definitely some of that going on during the tournament. Um I don't know. I think in the finals if any coaching staff goes ballistic like that, they're probably going to go look, especially when it's a headgear pull when it's something you're probably not going to see in real time. Um but I I do understand your point. I do think certain coaches get away with it more than others. So uh, maybe well, you might so be right. The, I may be giving what, what video did they watch where they didn't see a headgear pull? <laughs> that is an excellent question. I heard they had the ESPN feed for the finals and the ESPN feed was clear as day. So I don't, I don't know. And, and to be, I'll be perfectly clear. If fix won the national title on a headgear pull, it would be just as absurd. Like this is, we had gone so far beyond at that point that somebody was going to win and we were just going to laugh at this stupid match that just happened. It was, it was not going to be glorious for either guy. So I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Oh, he should have won it because of this. He should have by the rule book, but it was absurd before that. So I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how all weekend long, there were calls that looked clear as day that they would go and review and not overturned. I don't know what the final numbers were, but almost no calls got overturned. And it's just, it's sad, really. I, I can't believe we don't have third-party review when the rules, you know, the rules allow for it. And at the NCAA tournament, we've got the guy that just made the call doing the reviews. It makes no sense. I, I, I don't know what to do with it. I also heard a stat on the floor this weekend that said, it was either 11 or 9%. I can't remember. It was like just over, just under 10% of the reviews were switched. So it's like, yeah. you're just throwing bricks and wasting time. Yeah, and that's really the thing. Like, if we can't do better than that, get rid of challenges because it's pointless. So, I mean, yes, the coaches yeah. do at times do some crazy challenges um, that make no sense. But come on now, 9%, really? And I, I would believe that because that's what I saw. So... Well, I just to, the whole thing. Go ahead. Real quick, though, the whole thing that boils down to me is, if they watched the video and they had the ESPN feed, like I don't know what they're looking at. Like, if you're going to have this and it's so clear like that, and Dayton to be, you know, full disclosure, Dayton wrestled in my event. Like his dad is friends with Randy Couture, like, and they support our foundation. So, like. We're friends, so I guess you can say I'm biased, but I, I don't think it really matters. Like, if you look at that video, how do you not make the call? That's why I, I don't understand that. Like, what's the point of even what, – what's the point of looking? I, and I know you don't have the answer because you're a rational nope. person. We can move on. I just – I'll say that and I'll shut up about it. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. And, you know, I talked about fear before they've, you know, some of the rules that have come about are because the referees don't want to have to make a tough call. And I think once they went over there, they realized what that would mean if they changed that call, you know, it's changing the outcome of the national championship. And I, that's the only explanation that makes any sense to me. And that's absurd. So that, that whole match got way out of hand and just, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. So Let's move on to the other 133-pound news. Austin DeSanto had a nice tournament, beat RBY, uh, avenged a loss to Lezak, and uh, his losses were to Michich and Pletcher. He ended up finishing fifth. Uh, you know, and I, I saw some stuff after the tournament commending DeSanto for behaving, and he largely did. He did get dinged one team point, uh, but it was mostly just kind of stuff that you see all the time uh, at the national tournament. It wasn't anything crazy, but... After the season he's had, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to commend him, but at least he didn't do anything crazy, so that's good. And he wrestled well, so impressed by that. Uh, I think the best story at 33, uh, just as a field good, is senior John Ernesti of Missouri beating Tariq Wilson in the round of 12, 9-7 to seven in Sudden Victory 2. That was a wild match. If you haven't seen it, just go back and watch that. Uh, and he ends up getting sixth for his first all American honor. It's always cool when these seniors that have been around and have done it and been through the wars and, you know, just, just missed a couple of times, get their, uh, all American honor in their final try. It's really cool. Um, so good job by John Arnesti and, you know, Tariq Wilson was fun to watch again. It was a little surprising that he didn't, um, all American, but he just ran into a guy that beat him on that day. Yeah, I'll address him in the order he said him. So, uh, Misik said in the interview that he, he had an ACL and it was supposed to be a six-week injury. And he's like three weeks out. He doesn't know if he's going to be able to wrestle the Worlds in another three weeks. Um, you know, but that's why he sat out the Big Ten. So, you know, I mean, for people that are saying he sat for no reason, he had a real injury. Uh, I interviewed a DeSanto, and he's an interesting kid. I don't know what I think, like, you know, clearly talking to a kid one time, you don't really know him, but, you know, for whatever that's worth. Uh, I had Tariq Wilson on one of my fantasy teams, so I was watching that match really closely. That might have been the match of the tournament. There was about eight bricks thrown. Both those guys had body locks on each other. Um, and and John Ernesty is from Park Hill High School. His club coach is a really good friend of mine, so shout out to Jason Keck. His dad is a good dude. and. Um, he was never a state champion in Missouri. So he's a kid that just grinds and works really hard. And, you know, then he beat the brakes off RBY in that, you know, the, the match that puts guys in the seventh place match. So, uh, I think there's a lot of guys that won state that would trade in their state titles for a chance to be a division one, all American. So really, really cool story. Like you said. Yeah, I, I agree with <laughs> with uh, trading that state title for an All American honor, and yeah, you know, it's that weight was about as deep as they come. So to do it at that weight, that's pretty impressive. Uh, moving up to one forty one, Yanni Diakamahalis of Cornell knocked off Joey McKenna six to four in sudden victory one. Uh, this was another match that was a little bit marred by the officiating. I thought uh, Yanni had beaten Ironman in the semis. McKenna beaten Nick Lee. So a couple good wins for those guys to get there. Uh, McKenna was wrestling well and had the lead in the third period. 
There was a controversial second period review when Yanni stepped over McKenna. Looked like he should have definitely had a takedown and probably should have had two back points. Uh, instead, they waved off the takedown. They reviewed it. And again, looking at the feed that seemed clear as day when I watched it, no points. Um, and then the, the, in the third period, a, a much different situation. Yanni tries to throw the leg in. Ironman has his hand, has his arm up. And Yanni's kind of under it. It was a weird situation. They gave the two, they reviewed it, and they upheld the call. So I I don't know if they got either one of those calls right, but I think at least one takedown for Yanni was the right call. Uh, got into overtime, and he gets the takedown on just a quintessential Diakamahalis move where he just ends up with a leg, does kind of a somersault around, ends up getting the takedown. He's so much fun to watch, so... He gets the win. I think that was the right call. But again, we're in challenges. We're in reviews. We don't think they got the calls right. I, this was the point I started tweeting disgust out into the Twitterverse because I just back-to-back matches, just nonsense. Luckily, that was mostly the end of the controversy for the finals. Uh, what did you make of this match? I, mean, I think, you know, we, I think we might have said Ironman in there once when we met McKenna. But I mean, it... I I actually completely knew what Yanni was doing in the overtime. The, it's a crotch throw or, you know, it's a crotch lift and then a re-reverse and the guy has to adjust and you can beat him to the spot. Once that happened and he got him in those roles, I knew he was going to win. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think the takedown they gave him wasn't a takedown. I think he had a takedown and really close to two back points and they didn't give him anything. I also think the stalling call against McKenna kind of forced McKenna to shoot which is what Yanni wanted. Yanni was really defensive this whole tournament. So, I mean, but he's a guy like last year. I mean, he won that tournament on one leg. So like, he's a guy, like he could not place next year and I'm still going to pick him to win it as a senior. Like I, he's just, somebody said to me today, if you had to vote for the Hodge in two years and Yanni and Lee are both going for their fourth. I mean, obviously there's the criteria, but uh, it's it's going to be really tough, and and I should tell you. I mean, hopefully you're proud of me. Uh, track wrestling. I got I got a, I have an official Hodge vote this year, sir. So I'm pretty excited about that. I just submitted it, by the way, right before the podcast. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I I don't know how you picked your uh, number one because I know you had to make a choice, and I, I can't imagine trying to separate between Jason Dolph and Bo Nickel. Um, there's a few numbers out there floating around that could probably use if you have to make a choice, but I really hope they end up tied and get a co-hodge because that's, that would be fitting. Both of those guys deserve it. But yeah, you're absolutely right about Yanni. You know, he's, he's one of those guys you always expect to come through. And that's kind of what he said in his post-match interview that, you know, he just believes that he's going to find a way. And this was one of those matches where he almost didn't. And then he did, um, you know, the stall on McKenna I thought was warranted, but yeah, it played right into his hands. I hope uh, Yanni gets a little more offensive again. He's a lot of fun to watch when he pulls the trigger. He's just so good in scrambles and counters that I think guys fall in love with that a little bit. So I hope that's not the path he's going to walk. Um, Cause I think internationally, especially he needs to still work on his offense some more, but uh, he's a national champ again and two for two in your first two years. That's, you can't beat that. Right. Special. He's a special kid, for sure. 
Other results that were interesting, Dom Demas from Oklahoma finished fourth. You mentioned him earlier. He was the nine seed. He was a ton of fun to watch all weekend. He pretty much only <laughs> wants to go upper body, and he amazingly <laughs> continues to get these things, despite people knowing that's what he wants to do. Um, he beat Kanan Storr of Michigan and Nick Lee of Penn State. He lost to Yanni and Ironman um, to finish fourth, so good for him. Kyle Shoup of Lockhaven, who led the country in Tech Falls for the second year in a row, finished seventh from the 13th seed. He beat Cade Brock in the round of 12, and it was just a lot of fun to watch all tournament. He did some amazing things. He's so good on top, and this is another case where everybody knows what, he's, what he wants to do, and he can still do it so many times, so that was impressive. Chad Redd of Nebraska was an All-American again. He finished eighth from the 16th seed, and Mitch McKee uh, wasn't a senior, but guy that we've all thought highly of since he was in high school and finally breaks through to become a college All-American. He finished sixth. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that's been in the round of 12, had really tough schedules the first couple of years, so his record doesn't really reflect his talent. So it was good to see him on the podium as well. For sure. I think, you know, to kind of go through it, you know, Demas, uh, I'm, I'm happy for that kid. Like I said, he wrestled all year round. That also put Oklahoma in the top 25, which, you know, a lot of people have been down on them. So that's significant, I think. Um, I'm guessing you watched the Shoop match with Cade Brock. But for people yes. that didn't, Shoop got out to a big lead. Cade chips away twos and ones, twos and ones, twos and ones, gets it to 8 8, takes him down. And I think there's like 40 seconds left. You probably know better than me, but give or take 40 seconds. Shoop goes for like this real slow, long, like sort of high school switch. And Cade decides to follow him like even slower. And Shoop, instead of just kicking him loose because Shoop was not going to take him down, and Shoop high legs back over, puts him on his back for six, and ends up be ends up beating him, you know, by four. So that was gigantic for them, for Lockhaven. Uh, you know, Kate Brock's a really cool kid, so I was sad to see that. And he's kind of had those matches this year where you kind of figured he was going to be in the round of 12 and in a coin flip match, and he was. Uh, Chad Red, that guy is another guy that turns it on, you know, kind of has subpar seasons versus his national tournaments, but does it when it counts. And, yeah, Mitch McKee is a kid that's worked really hard, and he'll be in the, he'll be in the lineup next year with his brothers, little brothers of stud, you know, 25 from Minnesota. So that'll be cool to see as well. Yeah, you nailed the Cade Brock match, and I, I believe it was Esposito that turned around and uh, punched the chair in the corner when that happened, which we all could relate to. Yeah, I was sitting up in the Oklahoma State section, so there was a lot of anguish up there. Um, if he broke that chair and somebody wants to send that to me, I will pay a good amount of money for that, send it to charity, whatever we want to do if he broke that chair, but I think he might have. So um, that was, that was something else, but I, you know, it's, it's hard to be unhappy when a guy like Shoop wins. That's a kid that gr has been grinding for a long time and um, it's a pretty impressive tournament from him. So cool stuff there. Uh, moving up to 149, Anthony Ashnault of Rutgers became the second ever Rutgers national champion. Uh, I think a lot of people had him penciled in as the first for a while. I mean, he was their first huge recruit under Goodell. I think when he went there, everybody was expecting big things and ends up being their first four-time All-American and, and their second national champion in a couple matches after Suriano. Uh, he beat Micah Jordan again. Uh, nine to four this time, uh, and he beat Kalazic two to nothing in the semis. So he had to take the hard road. It's really impressive to, I mean, he's beaten Micah Jordan 
I think three times this year. And that's, you know, Jordan is a good wrestler and it's one of those things where each time you wrestle somebody, you can make adjustments and, you know, you would, I kind of thought Jordan would eventually get him, but it just kept, he kept being able to hold him at arm's length, obviously a big advantage on top, but he did a really good job of neutralizing Micah in neutral and out wrestling him in that position a couple of times. So very impressive tournament for Anthony Ashnall. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I, you and me had talked though. Like Micah is like the rich man's version of Cade Brock, like like really good on his feet. <laughs> and but I mean, but right, but they struggle on bottom, and it's it, it's it's tangible, like it's it's substantive. And like we were talking about, when's the last time somebody who is poor on bottom won nationals? And right, I don't know. Like it's it's I don't know. Like I like. I, I, it's almost easier to find somebody who's just okay on their feet, like maybe like a Mitch Clark who could just turn everybody, you know, like, but then they were good defensively on their feet. I'm not saying Mitch, I mean, Mitch Clark was a hundred times better than me. I don't mean like that, but just like usually the, you know, the guys who win nationals are awesome on their feet. I, I just think like you have to be good on bottom, like you, you know, and like you said, that match was close for a while, but when Ashnall broke it open, he got back points and it was kind of a right. feet to back scramble, but. In both the other matches, he got, I mean, the match in Vegas, he got a bunch of turns and then just held on. Uh, I mean, Ashnall's the best guy. He's the best guy in the way. Uh, and I, I think he was probably, you know, Rector signed that Scotty Winston kid, and he was a three- or four-timer, and he never meddled. And I think, you know, Goodale took a lot of heat for that because he was from Goodale's high school, and he came over with him. And I think, you know, this is huge for Rutgers, two national champs. I mean. They had more national champs than a lot of really good teams this year. And, you know, they were in the top 10. I think they finished ninth. You know, obviously they lose Ashnall, but, you know, they have Suriano back for another year. And almost that whole team is from New Jersey, if not all of it. And half that team is from Bergen Catholic. So, you know, shout out to Dave Bell and those guys. But, I mean, they've been able to keep the best talent in state and, you know, they brought Prince laugh on and they've been able to develop those guys. So, you know, that's, that's really a cool thing as well. Absolutely. Other all American news, uh, Austin O'Connor beat Mitch fine silver twice. The, they've wrestled six times this year. It's absurd. <laughs> I don't think I yeah. ever remember anyone squaring off six times with the same opponent in a single season. Um, but O'Connor finishes third, fine silver, becomes an All-American for the first time, finishing fourth. Uh, he was the highest seed ever for Duke and finished fourth. So good job by him. Kolodzik beat Brock Mahler of Missouri for fifth. And Jarrett Dagan of Iowa State beat Pat Lugo of Iowa for seventh. Um, it, Kolodzik really, you know, I watched him a lot this tournament. He was on one of my fantasy teams and... He seems like when he turns it on, he he wrestled Fine Silver, I think it was, and just took him down when he wanted to. And he wrestled Mahler, <laughs> I think, twice. And you know, he I don't know how many takedowns he scored on Mahler, but he gave up stall points in both matches, and he won easily because he kept taking him down. So it just it's baffling the way he wrestles. I don't understand it. Um, he seems to have all this offense, and then he spends half the match stalling. And so I don't understand it, but he finished fifth. Uh, Dagan on the stand for Iowa State. That was really cool. Uh, we'll talk about Willie Miklas in a little bit, but you know, Dagan was their only qualifier last year, I think. So uh, cool to see him get it done. 
And uh, obviously the big flame out was Caden Gefeller who went 0-2. Ryan Blees knocked him off in the first round. I warned you guys last week that Blees was on the upswing. It was going to be a tough out, and he proved to be uh, knocking off Gefeller in the first round. So what did you make of it at 149? We interviewed Blees, and, you know, he acted like it wasn't that big of a deal. But, you know, he's an Okie State transfer, so clearly it was. And then you kind of thought, okay, like he's in a good spot. And then he lost to Lugo in overtime and then got pinned by Rolfing. And it was kind of shocking that he would do that, you know, and then, you know, and then just kind of then him go to and out after that match. Um, right. I, I think if Brock Muller gets some offense, he's going to be really good. Like, I mean, I told you about him probably before anybody else did because I've seen him wrestle a bunch and he was in my event and he's just a hammer mentally. It'll be interesting to see what Missouri does next year because he can redshirt. Maybe he goes to 41. Maybe Grant Leith goes to 41. Um, but they have some options there. But I mean, he's a tough kid. You, the O'Connor fine silver thing is crazy. I interviewed O'Connor and he was in my meet. So we're kind of, you know, have a, a friendship and he goes, coach. I know he kind of got me good. He goes, I know you're old. I think he meant it as a compliment, but he goes, have you ever seen guys wrestle six times in a season? I'm like, no, I haven't. But I said, the only guy I would know would be the guy I do the podcast with. So when you said you hadn't seen it happen, I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened. So um, but this was a turn. This was a weight class that went, you know, pretty much, you know, the seeds that place were one, two, Three, six, four, five, eight, ten. So really, you know, besides if you replace Lugo with G, the top eight seeds all place. So I mean, maybe not in exact order, but again, you know, kind of held pretty much chalk at that this way class as well. Yeah. Moving up to one fifty seven, Jason Knopf over Tyler Berger of Nebraska, ten to two to win his third national title in his fourth trip to the finals. Uh, you know, I think we're all spoiled by Nolf by now, uh, but I think really a testament to his greatness was how stunned I was that Hayden Hydley of NC State gave him a, an absolute battle in the semis. Nolf prevailed 3-2. to two. There was a controversial takedown at the end of first period that wasn't given. I thought they missed that call. Uh, Hydley was in again near the end of the match, didn't get a takedown and didn't look like he got a takedown, but it, it was so bizarre. I mean, we're just so used to Nolf doing what he wants when he wants on the mat that that whole match was almost surreal. And then he survives a major burger in the finals, you know, hats off to the young man. He's been a credit to college wrestling, both on the mat and off of it. And it just, it, it's special when we get to cover guys like this. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I talked to Luke Becker. I just asked him, I said, you know, what do you think makes Nolf special? And we, we kind of agreed. It's just that he he goes hard and he goes on offense the whole time, right? And, like, he does – he gives up takedowns. He gives up takedowns to, like, to weird – not weird guys, but, like, weird matchups and stuff like that. And the match with Heidley was the one match where he just didn't do anything. You know, at least – well, really for most of the match, but certainly none of the first period – you know, we were, you know, I was talking to Becker that night and I go, I guess we jinxed him. Like it was, it was absolutely bizarre watching him wrestle like that. I, I know a lot of people are upset with the call in the first period and I think they got it wrong. I also think Nolf just doesn't lose by one. I, maybe he loses, but I think he definitely turns it up even more if it's 
zero to two at the end of the first period instead of zero zero. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it's one of those what if situations. What I think we were robbed a little bit of a really interesting match. If, if they give that takedown and it's right at the end, so maybe he rides it out and that, that makes it a lot more interesting match, I think. So that would have been fun to find out. We'll never know. Uh, moving to the other All-Americans at 157, Caleb Young of Iowa beat Ryan Deacon of Northwestern twice and finished fifth. Deacon was sixth to, to punch his ticket to be an All-American for the first time. Um, Alec Pantaleo knocked off Heidley for third. Uh, so good tournament for Pantaleo. And Christian Pagdalau of Arizona State, uh, I want everybody to know this story because it's kind of amazing. He was a national qualifier and a Pac-12 champion as a true freshman for Arizona State. He didn't start again until this season, which was only given to him after he got a sixth year of eligibility. And he finishes seventh to become an All-American for the first time in his second year as a starter, five years removed from his first one by beating Larry Early of Old Dominion. So really cool for Christian Pagdalau. It's one of those stories that people will hold up and say, hey, stick it out. You never know what might happen. Um, you know, I'm, I, I I wouldn't have blamed him if he transferred, but obviously he liked his situation, and it ended up paying off for him in the long in the long run. Yeah, I got to give uh, Lee Prince a shout out. I talked to him about him, and he said that you know they've been doing a lot of one on ones with him, and that you know they thought he was talented. He just kind of struggled with some self belief, which we all have, you know, in our lives at different points, and you know. I, I joked with another Division One coach. I said between Pagdalau and Drew Foster, D two, D three, NAI, and junior college lost a lot of recruits because now they can tell these guys, "Look, man, like you don't have to start for a long time, and you can be an All American, and you don't have to win state, and you can come here for walk on money and end up being a national champion." So a lot of the lower level schools probably lost a lot in recruiting by how those two guys did, but. Everything Prince told me the kid's an awesome kid. And, you know, again, he's an All-American for the rest of his life. And that's a pretty freaking awesome accomplishment. Absolutely. Moving up to 165 pounds, Virginia Tech picks up their first ever national champion in Makai Lewis, who ran the gauntlet beating Alex Marinelli, Evan Wick, and then Vincenzo Joseph in the final 7-1. to one. Got a cradle uh, in the second period, which really proved to be the decisive sequence and then used his iron hips to keep Vincenzo at bay. It was super impressive. He beat Marinelli 3-1 to one and Evan Wick 5-2. to two. He won the Outstanding Wrestler Award, and I can't think of anyone more deserving. I mean, you beat the 1, 4, and 2 in succession, and the 2 is a two-time defending national champion. So uh, just an amazing run. And he just – he really impressed me. He kind of – was under the radar a little bit coming into nationals. He was the eight seed. He had a couple of losses on his resume, hadn't wrestled most of the top guys. So we all knew he was good, but we weren't really sure how good and where he sat. And man, watching him, he's good in all three positions. He can ride you. He can get away. He's really hard to score on and he's got good offense too. It's just, it's hard to find a flaw in this armor. I'm, I was asking people, how did this guy lose two matches this year? He was that impressive. Yeah, so I watched him wrestle this this summer. I watched him beat Marinelli, and I was like, this dude's going to be a problem, right? Like, he, he and his style converts very well to folk style in the sense that he's 
like you said, he's really hard to score on. I mean, I I think he's got some holes. Like he doesn't turn guys. Like he doesn't ride and turn you. I mean, he can ride, but he's not really dangerous on top, and he's not dangerous on bottom. He can get away, but he's not like a bone nickel that'll reverse you to your back. His counter offense is stupid good. Uh, in the you know in the fantasy team we picked that actually won the national title, we had Lewis on it, and he's you know. But the problem was I had him ranked higher than everybody in the preseason. And then in his fifth match, he lost to Connor Flynn. And then he lost to Isaiah White, like in the quarters or semis of of the Cliff Keen. And then he really didn't wrestle anybody really good the rest of the year. Like he didn't wrestle a top 20 guy the rest of the year. So, I mean, this is why there's like, the difference between rankings and or seedings and ranking like what we thought was going to happen and where you have to seed a guy or rank a guy is totally different. So, I mean, like I thought he was a terrible matchup for Marinelli uh, just because if you get to his leg, it just gets started. If you get Marinelli's leg off the mat, he's very, very human. He hand fights really well. He head positions really well. He down down blocks exceptionally well. But if you can get to his leg, he he's not the best guy. Uh, Vincenzo, like before the finals, I told my buddy, I go, this is going to be a really hard match for Vincenzo. And if you kind of think of the lineage of this, Imar was going to be a four-timer. Or, or, I'm sorry, excuse me. Yeah, Imar was – or Jason Nolf. Imar presented, prevented Nolf from being a four-timer. Vincenzo prevented Imar from being a four-timer, and Mikhail Lewis presented or prevented Vincenzo from being a four-timer. So he's at the, and I'm not saying he's going to win four, you know, four. He's got three to go, obviously, but that's an an incredible lineage. If you kind of start of all those guys that are there, all those guys are kind of all-time great kind of guys. So you know, Vincenzo. Vincenzo and Hall didn't really score as many points as they normally do. I mean, obviously, Vincenzo had Isaiah White, which is always a barn burner. But, you know, he wrestled Shields really close, and he didn't really open up against Makai Lewis, even though it's hard to. Um, And Hall's bonus rate felt like it was way down this season as well. I know we're going to get to him in a minute. But um, I interviewed Tony Roby afterwards. I've known Tony for a long time, and he goes, I don't mean this arrogantly. He goes, we just knew Makai was going to win. He's just the best guy. And he goes, we didn't really care where he was in the bracket. I thought he would pick Wick apart because he he can get to legs and Marinelli can get to legs. You know, he beats Wick on his feet. So I knew Makai would, and I knew he would just get as big a lead as he can and hang on. And I think when we talk about some of your other notes here, we'll talk about maybe another strategy where they didn't do that and they probably should have. Oh, uh, yes. I. It's a good transition. We'll mock, we'll talk about Alex Marinelli and Joe Smith in round one after Smith had won his pigtail. Smith goes out, gets two takedowns. The entire arena is buzzing, watching this 33 seed t- try to take out a number one seed for the first time. Obviously, Smith has a resume that few 33 seeds will. Uh, but this is what everyone was afraid of that wanted to see Marinelli do well. Smith coming out looking like the two-time All-American that he is, got a lead, and then what? What did he do, David? I don't even want to say it. What do you mean? 
I don't like even want to say. Well, I don't even want to talk about this choice that he made. I, I don't understand it to this day. He ended up losing seven to four. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. Second period comes. Smith is ahead four to two because of two takedowns, and he takes down, which he has struggled with all season, especially since he started cutting down to sixty five. Has just really struggled on the bottom, and got ridden out. Uh, by Marinelli, it changed the entire match, and ends up losing seven to four. He had nothing left, so I, he had the option to defer, and he didn't defer. So I don't understand that one at all. It may not have made a difference. Marinelli is so physical and so good; he, he might have worn him out anyway. Um, and if you don't get another takedown in that second period, you might have to take down anyway in the third period. But why? Why take that? Why make that decision at that point? I didn't understand that at all. Um, did you? I would have picked neutral. I would have even deferred. I would have picked neutral, stayed fresh as long as I could. Because if you get two more takedowns and it's eight to four, now when you pick down, Marinelli can't just ride you. He can't hope for three. Right. First of all, if you get a couple takedowns, you probably have almost a minute of riding time. And even if you don't, Marinelli can't ride you the whole period and hope to get three warnings to go into overtime. Right. He's got to kick loose back to your best position. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it at all. It was funny. I, and let me preface this by saying I made a lot of inaccurate predictions this weekend. But I told a buddy of mine, they're like, uh, shout out to my guy, Kyle Martin. He goes, how do you think this match is going to go? I go, I bet Joe takes him down twice. It's four to two. I bet you somehow the match is tied at the end of the second period, and I bet you Marinelli pulls away in the third. Because the thing with Marinelli is, like, I think Joe is more skilled. Like, he has more skills, more holds, more attacks. But he's not, because of how the season went, he's not in shape like he was when he was a freshman. I actually think freshman Joe would have won the match. I mean, obviously a different weight class, but I mean – so we, you you have to be realistic when you're coaching these guys. And, I mean, I don't know when we'll talk about this. Maybe this is as good a time as any. All the all the adjustments with their lineup all year did not help Oklahoma State at the end. Like, th- this, they scored. Was, Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know what – it's really a weird thing to discuss. Obviously, the 65 move with Joe Smith did not work out. I mean, you can't say for certain how Chandler Rogers would have done, but you you have a guy out there that had a very compromised gas tank, and it was readily apparent. Um, so that obviously didn't work at seventy four. Jacoby Smith doesn't all American this time around. Um, I I don't know if that was because of the pull or not. Um, it's impossible to say. And then at eighty four, Dakota Gear is an all American. Um, and was kind of one of the bright spots. And obviously Preston Weigel at 97 did extremely well, but um, certainly it didn't work out at 65. And with Jacoby flaming out at 74, it it looks bad. Um, And I know that they didn't know if Preston Weigel was going to come back. So they thought that move might be permanent. I get it. Um, But it it didn't work out here at the end. People are going to second guess it, and rightly so. Um, And, yeah, that's all you can really say is it, it didn't work for him. Whatever they were trying to do, it didn't work out. Well, clearly they know Weigel's health better than we do, right? But 
you when you make all these guys are you know your body gets adjusted to a weight and now to make them readjust and you know like gear kind of got lucky where he got seated because Renan was hurt. Like if he got put in a different spot, like if he had wrestled the eight seed instead of the seven seed, that wouldn't have been good for him at all. You know, or obviously, you know, the six seed. But I mean, like if you'd have drawn Ryan Price or obviously drawn Drew Foster, I mean, it's hindsight, but Jacoby Smith beat Drew Foster pretty handily. So I'm not saying Jacoby Smith would have won nationals. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I come from the environment and people probably don't like this. Where dual meets just don't matter. Like, I understand they matter at Oklahoma State and they don't matter at junior college. But if it means, you know, screwing up your whole lineup to win a dual meet or two, and then at the end of the year, you guys don't wrestle as well because, you know, they've had they're moving their weight up and down. And here's the thing. Maybe Joe's better than Chandler, but I don't think Joe's better at the 33 seed than Chandler is at somewhere in the 9 through 12 seed, which is very likely where he would have been, depending on how he did, you know, in the Big 12 tournament. I mean, I mean, you were at the Big 12 tournament, but Romero was the 9 seed. Ashworth was the 10 seed. Um, I'm trying to see who was the 11 here. Steyer, I mean, probably would have fit in somewhere in that mix, Chandler Rogers, right? He probably would have been, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah, and I, I think it just would have been a better product on the mat in general. I mean, it, I think you're exactly right about where the seating was, and I think there's a strong argument to be made that even if Joe beat Chandler in the wrestle-off, that Chandler is a better 165 compared to the national field than Joe is right now because he just couldn't get his legs under him, couldn't get you know the gas tank to a point where he could wrestle you know multiple matches in a day and be his, his top self. He just couldn't do it. So um, that's it's unfortunate, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know. We'll talk about Dakota Gear here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's it didn't work out. And I, we'll never know exactly everything that went on, but um, it didn't work out for him. And, you know, that's they weren't going to catch Penn State. So in the grand scheme of things, I think really only Chandler Rogers got – unfairly done by, but, uh, you know, it's, I don't know what else oh, to say. It didn't work well, out, I, whatever they're trying to do. I mean, I think if you leave Jacoby Smith all year at 74, rather than bumping him up and bumping him back down and not, no. I mean, we interviewed Dakota Gear. He goes, it was really hard. I didn't even know if I was going to get to wrestle this year. Like, I don't know how that got decided. Like, I don't know how they said, like, I get that Weigel's better than Marsden or whoever they have at 97, okay? I don't get how it just got decided that Gear was going to be the 84 and Jacoby was going to be the 74 and that the only wrestle-off was going to be at 65. Like, I don't get how they didn't go, well, you know, Jacoby, do you want to go 84? He goes, well, no. I'm like, okay, well, the Gear's a 784. I would have thought you did the wrestle off at 65 right away and the loser got to wrestle off at 74. I mean, and I, I also think wrestle offs are a terrible way to decide a, a spot. Like maybe I can beat you, but you beat everybody that matters in tournaments. And so who cares if I can beat you? Maybe I have one pet move that works on you, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't work on anybody else. Yeah. It works on everybody else. I think it's an awful 
I think it's like just the, the biggest cop-out way to decide something. You know, there's so many yeah, other I ways. They, I mean, well, I think they got forced into it. I mean, at that point in the year, there's no other competitions to send them to. So they did it. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand that how that all went down. I didn't understand at the time, but we just, you know, we, we learned what we learned that that was going to happen. And that was the decision. I don't know what all went into it. I don't know if Jacoby wanted to go 84 or not. I have no idea. So that, I don't know if more of that will leak out or not, but uh, we're at the hour mark here and we've got some more to do. So um, yeah, so it ended up Marinelli lost to Marsteller as well on the backside, ended up finishing seventh, beating Bryce Styart of Northern Iowa. Uh, Marsteller had a very nice tournament, finished third, um, in his final NCAA event, beating Evan Wick. And then uh, Isaiah White of Nebraska beat Josh Shields for fifth. Uh, Logan Massa of Missouri falls to Alex Marinelli in the blood round. That was quite a matchup to become an All-American. Seems like we have a few of those every year where you just can't believe those two guys are um, you know, squaring off in that round. But it's what happens when seeds lose before they're supposed to. Uh, you get some weird ones like that. What did you make the rest of 65? Well, Massa from Michigan and Marinelli, like, I mean, that's kind of a flashback to the Big Ten, you know, where Massa flexed on Marinelli. And they were they were chirping after the match. I was right in front of the table where I was at, you know. But, again, this was a weight where there was a lot of, you know, I mean, Lewis was a shock, but, you know, 2, 8, 4, 5, 3, 7, 1, 11. So, you know, basically everybody but the sixth seed placed in the top eight. So, it's like the second or third time I think I've said that that six seed ended up being a bad spot, but you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's an unlucky number or something. Like kind of like the you know the five twelve in the basketball tournament. Moving up to one hundred seventy four pounds, Zahid Valencia back on top, beating Mark Hall of Penn State four to three. Uh, Valencia also avenged his loss to Daniel Lewis of Missouri in resounding fashion, eleven to three in the semis. Um, Hall beat Amin from Michigan again. Uh, this one was in tiebreaker one. So, it, you know, Amin just, he's so close, but he ended up third again. Uh, the top four, as we expected, remained intact with Amin beating Lewis for third. So, uh, you know, Zahid and Hall, again, you know, we talked about Hall a little bit that, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of offense in this tournament. And I think it kind of ended up biting him in the finals. Uh, Zahid loves to shoot. And he's not overly afraid of the counter. And, you know, we saw in Rec Hall earlier this year that Mark Hall made a counter work for him, but not this time. And Valencia eventually did get to take down to win it. Yeah. I, I, you know, obviously I'm friends with the Arizona State guys, and they said that Mr. Valencia taught the Valencias to shoot like crazy, and they spent a bunch of time working when they were kids on how to get out of short shots, bad shots, you know, how to stop the other guy's short offense. And that they're volume guys. And that's that was their plan when he had to wrestle Dake to try to make, you know, the 79 kilos. And you kind of forget he did better against Dake than almost everybody did at the world championship. Uh, I think, you know, as he said in his interviews, I think those two losses actually did him a lot of good. And I also think this might be the last time Hall and Zahid wrestle in folk style. I think I'm pretty sure that Anthony is going to come in at 74 and Zahid's going to go 84 next year. I know that, you know, Penn State redshirted Norfleet and they redshirted Teamer and they redshirted Tanner Hall. And they're going to try to get all these dudes in the lineup. And that's, you know, that's going to be, it's going to be Maruka, uh, Teamer, Shields, Anthony, Zahid, 
uh, Northfleet Hall. I'm waving my hand, Charlie, like somebody can see what I'm doing. But those would be like the last seven weights, and then they got Brandon Courtney at 25. So I mean, they've got that. Their their last seven weights are pretty solid. So I think for those of us that enjoyed seeing that, it, it may not happen again in folk style. You're sure it probably will in freestyle, but maybe not in folk style for a while. Plus, I think Zahid wants to try to you know make a take a shot at the Olympic team, and 184 is a lot closer to 189. And there's he you know he he'd have to remove a limb to make 74 kilos. So you know what I mean it makes sense for him to move up for a lot of reasons. Yep. Completely agree with all that. Um, I'm excited to see Anthony Valencia in the lineup, especially not at 65 anymore. I think Eaton will do him a lot of good. And, uh, you know, Zahid at 184 is an instant title contender. That's the understatement of the year. So uh, <laughs> the, we talked about the top four, Amin over Lewis for third. Uh, Labriola lost to both Amin and Lewis. He beat three of the top 11 seeds en route to a sixth-place finish. He lost to David McFadden of Virginia Tech in the fifth-place bout, so good tournament for Mikey Labriola. Jordan Cutler of Lehigh beat Devin Skatska of Minnesota for seventh. Uh, the 33-seed Devin Kane of North Carolina won his pigtail, lost to Mark Hall, won three in a row, including beating Jacoby Smith. Before losing in the round of 12, he nearly became the first 33-seed ever to All-American. Um, came up one match short, but a fine showing for him. Um, ben Harvey was the number 22 seed. He beat Dylan Lighty in the first round and, uh, and beat David McFadden before falling to Zahid and Devin Skatska. So he came very close as well. Obviously McFadden rebounded from that early loss to take fifth. So he did a nice job. Uh, what else did you see at 74? Well, all, all eight guys were top 10 seeds. So, I mean, that's, that was interesting. The Devin Kane story was really interesting. I'm glad you hit on that. Lujan made the quarters and then didn't place. So that's, uh, you know, you know, he had placed, I think, the year before. I, and I watched this kid wrestle a lot, but Daniel Lewis was awfully good this year, man. I mean, if it wasn't for Mark Hall, he would have been the number one seed, you know. And so, I mean, he had a really good season, was undefeated. And if he had been the one seed, I mean, he, he does better against the mean than he does against Zahid. So four-time All-American Kansas City kid, just, you know, I guess just because I know him a little bit, you know, and but he's, he scored a ton of bonus points from Mizzou, too. So, I mean, his uh, his leadership will be greatly missed. Mizzou will be in a little bit of a rebuild next year with him being gone and, and Ironman uh, taking the Olympic redshirt, as you mentioned, at the top of the show. Moving up to 184 pounds. Uh, no, last week... I said Drew Foster was going to make the finals. It made perfect sense. Um, he'd beaten Zavatsky three straight times. So I thought he could go with Shakur Rashid, which turned out not to be an issue. Uh, he did me one better. Uh, not only did Drew Foster of Northern Iowa make the finals from the sixth seed after beating Zach Zavatsky for the fourth straight time, he knocked off Max Dean, the five seed of Cornell, six to four, to win a national title. This is a kid who was 15 and 18 as a redshirt freshman. Uh, at, and never won a state title, and now he's a national champion. Um, so tremendous story there. Uh, Max Dean obviously made the finals by beating Miles Martin, the top seed, who was undefeated. Um, that was quite an upset. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Um, and in fact, unless I saw that somebody had written it down before the tournament started, I don't believe that you saw that coming. Uh, that was just no, no, that no, was no, a tremendous no, no, no. match as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, 
Foster was awfully impressive. You know, we talked about you know, Jacoby Smith had beaten him. Sam Colbray had beaten him. And he had a little bit of a blip late in the season. And then he looked outstanding at the Big 12s, which is one of the reasons I thought he was going to do well. And he just wrestled tough all tournament. Another one of those guys, long arms, can ride like crazy. Really hard to deal with. Uh, what did you make of the final? Well, to back up, the, the you I think a lot of people thought Foster might struggle with Dupre, like at the 6-11 matchup. But you're, you're, I mean, he beat Zavatsky twice, and this was one of the reasons why seeding this weight or ranking this weight rather was so difficult. Uh, but you know, when you got to the quarters, we we're like, oh, that's a good matchup for him. And then obviously, you know, Ness beat Rashid, and then Ness beat Colbray. So I mean, that that was a pretty good path for him. I think he lost to Gabe Dean. I think I remember watching that match in West Gym. Uh, during the duel, maybe I have it wrong, but I think Dean got a takedown or a reversal and wrote him out. Uh, my understanding is that Randy Pugh had to talk Doug Schwab into recruiting him. That, you know, like they didn't think he was that good, you know, that whole thing. So, I mean, that's an awesome story. Uh, an even more awesome story is that uh, my friend and I won the Fantasy Wrestling National Championship because. Drew Foster won his match, so that was pretty awesome too. Just say that. Uh, but to me, the Always shock good. of the, oh, the yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, the shock of the meet to me was was the Dean Martin match. I wasn't even watching it; like I was watching all the other stuff because you're like, okay, like he's killed him. Like this is just going to happen. And then, like one of my friends is like, "That's a one point match." And then they got in that you know far ankle scramble, and he lost the scramble, and then got. I'm like, oh, well, he's going to get out. He'll get to overtime. It literally was just like I wasn't paying attention. He was winning, not by a lot. And the next thing you know, like the two biggest shocking moments to me were that and then the Heidelay Nolf match, even though it didn't change just that how close that was. Those those were more shocking to me than Kassar beating Gable again or, I mean, I was like, I was speechless at everything I've ever seen or heard about Miles Martin. He's an unbelievable human being. You don't, you know, I'm happy for, for Dean, but I felt terrible for Miles Martin, if that makes any sense. Uh, I think it does. And, uh, you know, if, if we have parents and coaches that listen to this show, if, if you want an example of how to be an athlete's parent, go check out Miles Martin's uh, father's Twitter. And what he tweeted out after the day after that happened, just a really excellent sentiment about, you know, being thankful. Yes, you hurt for your child, obviously, uh, but being thankful for all that he has done in his career. I mean, Miles Martin's career has been exceptional. And the fact that he got upset in his senior year doesn't change the fact that his career has been amazing and he's going to go on to do great things. So uh, really cool. Um, was really impressed by that. And that he came back to get third. So, you know, you just never know when that when a favorite like that gets knocked off. And we saw it several times this year where they recovered and came back and got the next best thing. So that's that's always impressive to me when it happens. Uh, Martin ended up third by beating Ryan Price of Lehigh. You know, Ryan Price is his own amazing story. Last year, he lost in the round of 12 for the second straight year. He told his coach, Pat Santoro, that wrestling just wasn't worth it. Like the pain was too much. The training was too much. It was too much, you know for what he was getting out of it, um, hung in there, came back for another year, 
and finished fourth in his final try. So that was awesome to see. He beat Louis Dupre in the round of 12. You know, we talked about him and Foster in the first round. Dupre wrestled well, uh, just came up one match short. And then, you know, we talked about Chip Ness for the second straight year, wrecking brackets from the 15 seed, ends up in the semis, and he's an All-American again. Uh, and then Dakota Gear was the lowest seed by far of anyone in the tournament to All-American. He was the number 26 seed. He was the only one outside the top 16 to All-American. He beat the 7 seed, the 2 seed, the 13 seed, and the 3 seed to do it. Um, he put Shakur Rashid out of the tournament. It, I think it was pretty apparent that Rashid was limited by that knee. Um, so that's unfortunate for him. We'll see if he comes back next year. But uh, really interesting weight to break down. And then we haven't even talked about Emory Parker taking fifth by beating Chip Ness in the sixth place match. So uh, just wild stuff at 184. Yeah, and you know how things always seem, always make sense after the fact. If you look at the bottom quarter bracket, Renan's the seven seed and he's injured. Shakur Rashid's the ten seed and he's injured. Sammy or two seed, excuse me. Colbray's the ten seed and you know he's good, but he's never placed before. Like a, a guy like Chip Ness is the highest remaining seed, and you're like that kind of makes sense. You know, like if you know if if people had looked at it that way, uh, you know, we interviewed Dakota Gear and somebody asked him a pretty good question. And he said, you know, I I think it's crazy that you don't get credit for the guys you've beaten all year. And obviously the formula, you know, you understand the formula as well as anybody I know, doesn't take into account what you've done at different weight classes, only the weight class you're trying to qualify in. So I don't know if there's a way to address that. I mean, I'm sure it probably would just make things even more complicated. But, you know, Dakota Gear, I mean, this is, again, part of that Oklahoma State thing. Nobody thought Joe Smith was the worst guy in the bracket. Nobody thought Dakota Gear was the 26th best guy in the bracket. And that's – and I don't think – I guess you could argue that Joe Smith earned the 33 seed. I don't think Dakota Gear even earned the 26 seed. I think he probably earned like a – you know, somewhere between a 10 and a 15 seed. I'd have to go back and look at his record, you know, and the matches that he won and lost. But – Clearly, he was a top 20 guy at the very least. So, And the other thing is this. 184 is super, super thin coming back. Like, we, I did the preseason rankings, and there's only two guys that play. Like, Dakota Gear is the preseason number two right now. Yep. Like, six of the eight medalists are gone. Where you look at some of the other weight classes, and there's like seven medalists back, and then nine guys coming in off red shirt. So, I mean, it's, it's, this is a weight where you could see, like, if Zahid moves up, which we both think he will, he becomes a prohibitive favorite here, I think. Yeah, and I'm not sure if Gear will be back at 84 or not either, depending on how the Cowboys want to work the top of their lineup. They've got a lot of gaps to cover. So, um, we'll see what happens there. Moving up to 197, Bo Nickel of Penn State over Colin Moore of Ohio State 5 to 1. Uh, you know, Nickel is another one, a lot like Jason Knopf, that, you know, we get spoiled covering guys like this. Another three-time champ, four-time finalist, uh, just made it look easy. You know, Colin Moore, obviously, in that final, wanted to stay away, wanted to make it a one-move match, and I think he executed that game plan well, and Nickel still found a way to win. I'm sure it wasn't how he wanted to go out. He loves those big moves and, you know, pinning guys who doesn't, but he does it very well as well as anybody of other guys that are good top level wrestlers. So uh, he got the W 
Colin Moore was really impressive to me in his uh, semifinal, beating Preston Weigel 12-4. to Weigel ended up finishing third over Patrick Brucky of Princeton. Uh, Moore kind of proved that he was on that second tier by himself with Nickel obviously on the first tier. Uh, what did you make of 197 at the top end? I, I, I Colin Moore's match, I, I actually thought Preston Weigel, I didn't know if he would beat Moore, but I thought he would really give him trouble. And I think it was what, maybe... I think it was eight to three going into the third period. And yeah. I was like, well, I, I was sitting next to the guy. Well, he's, he's still in it. If he gets one of those four point turns, he's in it. And then the more got out, like in the first 20 seconds, I think. And I'm like, well, it's over now, you know? So again, yep. you know, for everyone I picked, right. I, at least I'll be honest and point out a couple. I didn't, you know, I, I've never really talked to Weigel for any length of time. We interviewed him. I thought that was interesting. He's a really interesting guy. He did beat Brucky, so maybe sort of justified the seed. Uh, Bo Nichols, special man, and like um, I always knew he was special. But when you're going through trying to sort out this Hodge boat thing, and you really look at his numbers, you know, one of the things that struck me, and, and a friend of mine helped me with this, is who he's beaten in the finals. I mean, he's beaten some really good guys that you don't necessarily. Remember, if you haven't, you know, like he beat Gabe Dean, he beat Miles Martin, and he beat Colin Moore. And two of those guys have won national titles. And I got to think Colin Moore, I mean, he's going to be the preseason number one unless, you know, Kyle Cannell gets another year. So, I mean, his career is super impressive when he doesn't look big, he doesn't look strong, he doesn't look fast. He's just really freaking good. And I'm going to be really interested to see what he does at the next level. You know, does he go down to 89 and Russell Taylor? Does he go to, you know, 92 kilos, 204, trying to make the non-Olympic weight? You know, but I think he's going to be fascinating to watch. He'll obviously need to get a little more fundamental, but there's a lot of things there that he can do that's exciting. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned getting a little more fundamental. I think we're we've seen in the past – those guys that can blend that wild style with um, just a little control. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't even, that's not even the right word, but I think people know what I mean by that. It, those guys can be really dangerous because the international level, a lot of the high level matches, it seems like are almost scripted. Like, you know, what's going to happen. You know, a guy's going to get a, a single leg and try to finish, you know, get a push out, that kind of stuff. And those guys that can do things differently, I mean, we saw it with Jaden Ironman over the summer pinning, you know, one of the Russians that has been really good. Guys that do different stuff can really throw that into turmoil. And yeah, there'll be scouting and whatever, but it's really, it's exciting to see what Bo Nickel does. I hope he sticks it out for a freestyle career and uh, I'm excited to watch what he does. So that would be pretty cool. Um, other All-Americans, we had some more good, uh, good stories here. Willie Miklas, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I thought he was done. He lost in the second round, and I just thought, you know, I mean, everybody grieves in their, in a different way, and I thought, you know, it wouldn't have been any uh, shame in it if he was just wrung out and just couldn't do it anymore. There, was some, there are some great things out there on the Internet, um, some stories that people have done on him, just really emotional, really amazing stuff, and I just thought when he lost in the second round, I thought, you know, maybe that's it. But he wasn't done. He rallied all the way back to finish sixth. Uh, super impressive run through the backside. 
And the guy that beat him for sixth, <laughs> just as good of a story, Josh Hokett from Fresno State becomes their first All-American since 2003. Obviously the first one since they brought the program back. And, and Hokett's a running back on the Fresno State football team. So he's a two-sport <laughs> athlete. I mean, becoming an All-American and not a guy that we expected to All-American at all. He was the 16th seed. He wrestled tough all tournament, ended up beating Nicholas for fifth. So that was amazing. And then Jacob Warner finished seventh, knocking off Ben Honus of Cornell. Honus is one of those guys, lost first round to Jake Jacobson of Lehigh in the rivalry match and came all the way back to All-American. Always impressive when I see that. So good job by him. Yeah, and again, this is a weight where the top six seeds all placed. Honus was a nine and, and Hokett was a 16, like you said. Uh, Tom Lane was an interesting guy. I mean, I interviewed him. I don't, I don't know if you saw the interview. That kid didn't start wrestling until the 10th grade, bro. Like, literally. Wow. <laughs> and he's like, he's a Long Island guy. He trained with Vogar. Uh, you know, he loves Vogar. You know, he's Vito's dad. And he he beat Kay Wood, and then he beat Jacob Warner. He lost to Brucky really close. He lost to Brucky and had four minutes of riding time. Like, I've never, like, I'm guessing that's probably happened before, you know, and I'm getting to the age where I forget things now, but like, that was crazy. Um, he was the only guy there from Polly, and I mean, just he's an awesome interview. You can go to the, either Track Wrestling or go to our, our YouTube channel, but he's an awesome interview, just a really interesting kid to listen to. So, you know, I mean, this, this weight is, you know, it's, it's, it's more, and then Brucky are the top two coming back. And, um, you know, I, I kind of was a little surprised at Jacob Warner's tournament. I mean, obviously he's, it's his first time there, but I think you kind of think he'll do a little better than he did. So, uh, you know, but, you know, he meddled. I mean, when we start talking about the team stuff, Iowa's got a truckload of all Americans coming back, man. Yeah, and I think we'll probably get into that next week more. But, uh, yeah, 285, Anthony Kassar over Derek White, 10 to 1 in the finals. Um, I think the margin of victory was surprising. And obviously, Kassar beating Gable Stevenson of Minnesota 4 to 3 in the semis, I think still surprised some people, even though he did the same thing um, in the Big Tens. But I think there was a lot of people, including me, picking Stevenson to win the tournament. So that was. You know, Kassar, he proved it. He proved he was the best guy. Um, there's really no other way to say it. Uh, you know, he had avenged his only loss of the year when he lost to White at the scuffle, and he did it in big fashion, getting a takedown and back points that really blew that match open. Uh, just impressive all the way around for Anthony Kassar, and now we get to wait and see if he's coming back next year. Yeah, and if he doesn't, Penn State's really screwed because all they have is Neville's coming back. So, I mean, they'll, yeah. they're, it's crazy, right? Like, I mean, I think <laughs> Rashid will, you know, apply for a sixth year too. I mean, I would assume if Kassar gets a sixth year that Nevels will probably go into the portal. I mean, I would think that would be what would happen, you know? So, yeah, it, that was a crazy match. Like, you know, White beat him three to two at scuffle. Kind of was a one move match, hit him in a little slide by, you know, Kassar, it's hard to just believe that he's that good, right? Because he's never even been in the tournament before. But you're a better historian of this than me. When's the last time two guys in the finals wrestled and neither one had ever been an All-American before and both were seniors? Has that ever happened? I 
I don't know the answer to that. It probably happened, you know, way back in one of those early tournaments at some point, but I can't imagine that list is long if it exists at all. So that's, it's amazing to see that. I mean, I knew that was the case. I didn't look anything up before the show, but that's, it's stunning. Yeah. I mean, his son yeah, wasn't even sure. a starter last year and he did the same thing in high school. He only made the state tournament once in high school and he won it. He made the NCAA tournament once in college and won it. Now he may come back next year, but it's stunning. <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the riding time situation with Kastar and Stevenson in the semis? With the review? This is I mean, one of those rules. Well, this is, this is one of those rules that I understand why people are bent out of shape um, because it's awkward, but they have to call it that way. Um, you know, Stevenson gets up and Kassar is out, but he still has that seatbelt position in with his hand most of the way across the back. And if you give an escape there, you're kind of penalizing the bottom man because you're giving the top man an advantageous position. So they have to kind of wait and see how that position plays out. Now, when it's right on the edge of that minute, I understand why that's frustrating, but I thought by and large, you know, that was not a bad call. Um, They reviewed it and they changed the writing time by a second or two, but obviously it wasn't enough. So I, I get it. Like, I understand why people are questioning the call, but you have to let that situation play out. Now, maybe, you know, you can talk about whether they should, you know, introduce something to allow them to stop the riding time before they give the escape, but that really gets hairy. So I think it's just one of those quirks in the rules that that's just how it happens sometimes. And it's awkward, but I don't really see a good solution to it. Yeah, I don't know. I saw a video or a still that he was, they were completely not touching each other. And the thing was at 59 seconds, but I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know if that was the official clock too. Like, you know, we see this on, on our site and then other sites where sometimes the writing time and the clock don't aren't exact matches of, of the official clock, but it, it yeah. I actually, yeah. go ahead. Oh, well, yeah, I, I actually did see someone say that uh, the clocks were about two to three seconds off in several matches. So that may have been the case. I don't know. I didn't see that still. Yeah. Well, I, I actually thought that Kassar, he definitely won the Big Ten's fair and square, but I thought Gable will just wrestle. Like, he'll create more exchanges and more, you know, more scoring opportunities, and he'll win a controlled match like six to four, five to three. I think Kassar's athleticism, his ability to counterattack, like what he did to Derek White, granted it was when Derek White, you know, had to come to him. But his style is one that really lends itself to being difficult to wrestle and really lends itself to an international, you know, I think career if he wanted to. I mean, because he's got little guy skills in a big guy's body. And, you know, what's really interesting is we went from talking about, well, maybe Gable will be, you know, he might be an undefeated four-timer. He might just be so good. He's going to get bored and just stop wrestling in college uh, to now – you know, he's a Big Ten runner-up and a third at the NCAAs. The interesting thing is we did ask him in the third-place match would he Olympic redshirt next year, and he said, no way, I'm wrestling the tournament in Minneapolis. So, I mean, obviously guys can change their mind, but, you know, I thought that was, you know, interesting. So, Yeah, that's I think that's really cool because that shows he's got some awareness and, you know, understands the fan bases and that sort of thing. Like, 
I mean, I understand he's from Minnesota, so it's cool for him too. But you know, a lot of guys, I think, just worry about themselves, especially in this, you know, wrestling's kind of, a, it's an individual sport. And yes, there's a team aspect to it, but you've got to kind of take care of your own career. So I think that's pretty cool that he's already thinking forward to, hey, I want to wrestle in Minneapolis in front of my fans and friends and family and all that stuff. So very cool. Uh, other All-American news and other things that happened in this bracket. Uh, Sam Stoll got moved the night before the tournament when uh, Jake Gunning of Buffalo had to withdraw due to an injury. Ended up drawing Mason Paris, the five seed of Michigan, in the first round. Beat him, then beat Conan Jennings of Northwestern to reach the quarters. Uh, but unfortunately for him, he wasn't able to get another win. Ended up losing to Yosef Hamida of Maryland in the round of 12. Paris lost that first round match, came all the way back to the round of 12 before falling to Matt Stencil of Central Michigan. So just wildness in that quarter, obviously. Uh, Amar Desi of Oregon State lost to Gable Stevenson in the Constellation semifinals, ended up beating Hamida for fifth. Stenzel got seventh after beating Trent Hilger of Wisconsin. Um, Zach Elam and Conan Jennings wrestled a marathon match in the last match of a session, ended up in tiebreaker three. And I mention it because Jennings took neutral because he had the writing time advantage um, in the third set of tiebreakers after they had ridden each other out twice. And Elam took him down. <laughs> so it backfired That's on him. Like nobody had taken anybody down. We'd wrestled for an hour. It seemed like the <laughs> arena was cleared out almost. And Elam gets the takedown to win in tiebreaker three, ended up losing to Hilger in the round of 12, but a good run by Elam at the end. So um, yeah, if, if you want to win at bar bet, ask him what heavyweight has scored a takedown in tiebreaker three to win an NCAA wrestling match. <laughs> I mean, that was crazy sure. stuff. Yeah, I'm going to jump around on these. Elam, I know his family, kid wrestled my event. He's an awesome kid. He's the one that ended up taking second at Junior Worlds, filling in for Kirkfleet. And it while he did great, it really kind of stunted his progression in college because he had he cut. They had him bulked up, and he had to cut back down and then bulk him back up. I think he's going to see a big, big strides, big improvements next year um you know i think i guess they could redshirt and they still have austin myers there so that's certainly a possibility uh i'm gonna finish on a positive note because i want to finish with hamida and uh carrie mccoy so i, I just want to ask you I, this match was right in front of us so we had a great look at it i'm not saying the referees did anything wrong but the stole paris match it just felt like the referees were like too involved like i mean i don't have a bias towards any of these guys like almost every coach has been on my podcast but it feels like you should have to actually do a real leg attack or an upper body attack and not just push a guy out of bounds in order to get points but i mean you know you did you watch the match and what did you think of it i guess i'll just leave it at that yeah, I definitely watched the match. Um, I knew exactly where you were going when you started that, <laughs> that little discussion point. It's And for those that didn't see the match, I think there were seven stall calls. Um, most of them were out-of-bounds edge stuff with Sam Stoll and Mason Paris. You know, Stoll is probably one of the hardest guys to officiate because he can create offense from that upper body position, but 
he often just uses it to ride guys out of bounds and try to get stall calls. And it's really hard to tell the difference. He's so big and strong. It's really hard to tell the difference between him pushing a guy out and a guy running backwards because he doesn't want to get thrown in the underhook. So especially with a guy like Stoll, who's got a Greco background. And I think when you have guys like that, and, you know, we saw this, we've seen this so many times, guys get a reputation. And the officials know coming into that match that they're going to have to make edge-of-the-mat stall calls. It was bizarre, some of the decisions they made. I didn't understand it. That that rule is something we need to look at changing, obviously, and we'll talk about that as we get into the off season. But it was crazy. Um I, I didn't know who was going to get called from one to the next. I thought somebody might get DQ'd for stalling, and I wasn't sure which one it was going to be. So it was insane. And, you know, just more – that one I put less on the official. I do think he was a little too involved, but I think he was ready for that situation, and he was going to try to call it aggressively. I, I don't necessarily hate that idea, but the rule is so bad that it's it looks super awkward to – anybody watching that match. So um, I, it was a weird one for sure. Yeah, I, I struggle with it. I mean, because I don't think Paris is stalling. I think he's just wrestling a human being bigger than him. Like he's trying to get back on the mat. He's trying to wrestle. He took more of the shots. He has to take these garbage half shots on the edge to not get pushed out of bounds. I mean, I, I don't know. I struggle with it. But um, I want to... Just, you know, at least as far as wrestling for me, close out with Kerry McCoy. You got an All-American and Hamida. Kerry McCoy is one of the best human beings you'll ever meet. If you have a son or daughter, he's the kind of guy that you would want to have coach your kid. Uh, you know, he believes in developing people first and using wrestling in that vein. So um, I talked to him, and he said his things are still up in the air and what he's going to do next. But definitely a great he was a great champion and a great ambassador for our sport. And I was happy to see them have an all American and happy to see that guy win his last match without, you know, him meet or others. That was pretty awesome too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you know, Hamida's story, his, his route to this uh, part where he's an all American for the second time has been a wild one as well. Check that out. If you haven't read it, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, pretty amazing stuff anyway. And you know, yeah. And so that kind of brings us to a close. If you've hung in there with us this long, I really appreciate it. There was a lot to talk about. Um, in the end, Penn State easily won their eighth title in nine years. Uh, team race never was really a thing, so uh, I don't think anyone was surprised by that. And you, know, you mentioned Kerry McCoy, so Maryland will be open. It starts to be that time of year when we look at coaching vacancies. We'll see what happens with those. Uh, and, you know, we'll come back next week to talk about all the bets we made this year, what we're looking forward to in the off season, all that kind of stuff. Wrestling season never stops. Uh, we'll move right along, but you know, for now, I think we've talked for 95 minutes. Uh, David, you got anything else before we let these people's ears rest? No, we'll just talk about how I like my chicken wings next week. So that'll be great. Well, they're, they're drawing interest. Uh, David's prowess at predictions is better than mine this year. Well, I'll have to do a lot of studying in the off season. So um, thanks for listening. Alex Steen for David Miracatani. We'll see you next week.